listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. Good morning, Bethel. How are we doing? Good morning. How are we doing? That's better. Well, uh, hey guys, I'm excited to be back with you. Uh, I wanted to start with, I don't normally do this, but I feel the need to confess the sins of your pastor this morning. So when Mark, when he asked me, he see, he knows. The Spirit is convicting over here. When he asked me to come preach, he didn't say, hey, would you like to come preach at White House this Sunday? To which I would have said, obviously, yes. No, no, no. He goes, hey, Clint, would you like to come preach this Sunday? It's Potluck Sunday. Just threw that in there. Of course. I I miss my kid's birthday for that. Of course I'm coming for that. I can't turn that down. I show up. There's no potluck. But uh, I did, for the first time in my life, I had Oreos for breakfast back there. So I'm, I'm, I'm pleased. I'm good to go. Hey, if you got your Bibles, you can open them to Psalm 145, like Mark said. Uh, before we start reading, though, uh, I'm going to try something. This is something a little different, but I think if you just hang with, with me, work with me, it'll be rewarding. So here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want everyone to close your eyes. Everyone close your eyes. Now, don't get excited. I'm not closing in prayer already. You're not off the hook, okay? Close your eyes. I don't want you to think about when you were growing up, somebody in your life who made a big impact on you. It could be a Sunday school teacher or a coach or a school teacher. It could be your parents, but somebody who really impacted you, really shaped you, really influenced you as you grew up. Think about that person. I want you to picture their face right in front of you. Picture their face as vividly as you can. And then I want you to think of just one or two words that you would use to describe that person. How would you describe that person that made an influence in your life? All right, everybody, you can open your eyes now. I'm over here. And what I'd love for you guys to do is just right there where you are, just tell me those one or two words you used to describe that person. Who's got something? Faithful, okay, I heard faithful in the back. Patient, that's a great one. Determined, yes, I heard one over here. Steady, absolutely, steady in your life. That's a great one too. Nice, that's a great one. Loves Jesus, absolutely. Any others that come to mind? Those are all great. Mine was a guy named uh, Stephen Fitzhugh in seventh grade. He was my football coach and my Bible teacher, and so many of those words describe him, and so much of what I, I think and know about what it looks like to follow Jesus was shaped by him. It's absolutely shaped by him. I do that exercise because this morning we're going to talk about passing our faith to the next generation, teaching our kids and those who would come after us who Jesus is, what he is like, and what it looks like to follow him. But see, this, this funny thing happens a lot of times. Anytime you ask someone, hey, who influenced your life? How did they do that? What, what were they like? You get answers much like you guys said. A lot of those, it's the very same thing. But then if you look forward and you ask somebody, hey, what do you think it, it's going to take? What do you think the next generation, our kids coming after us, what do they need to learn, how, learn about Jesus? You often get very different answers. You get things like, oh, we need, we need the most entertaining speakers. We need the best buildings. We need the best facilities. We need the best camps. Did anyone here, when I said, think about who influenced you the most, did anyone picture a building? No. No. 
But yet, a lot of times, we think our kids need something far different than what shaped us most. We're going to all open up to Psalm 145, and this psalm describes the process that I think influences us and what we need to do to influence the next generation. And here's the process. Here's, here's what we're going to unpack the whole morning. We commend what we love to the people we love. We commend what we love to the people that we love. So let's open up Psalm 145. We're going to read the whole psalm together. Starting in verse 1, Psalmist says this, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works, I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds, and I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all. And his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you. and You give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of all those who fear him. And he also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. You may notice this psalm is gushing with praise. It is overflowing with worship. As I was thinking about this passage, I found the old verse or old song on my iPod, on my phone, uh, a song I got some time back in high school where somebody had put the psalm to music, and the title of the song was Song of a God Admirer. Isn't that who this is? A God Admirer. He is admiring everything there is about God. He starts off with God's greatness, and I love how he starts. He says, listen, I am going to praise your greatness every day, forever and ever, and it's still not going to be enough. It's still going to be insufficient to figure out your greatness. He says, the Lord's greatness, it's unsearchable. Unsearchable. You and I can dedicate our lives and all of eternity. Hey, let's figure out just how great God is. We'll never get there. He's unsearchably great. And yet, I'm going to praise him every day, forever and ever. Going down to verse 8 and 9, he, he praises God's compassion. He says this phrase, the Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And y'all, that phrase may be familiar because that exact phrase, that exact wording appears over and over again in Scripture, especially throughout the New Testament. 
And y'all, these are not things that God does. This is the core description of who God is. So if you remember back in Exodus, this is Exodus 34, I believe. Moses, remember, he says, God, I want to see your glory. I want to see you for who you are. You know, and God's like, Moses, chill, you can handle that. But tell you what, get in the cleft of the rock, I'll pass by. And that's as close as you can get. Y'all, these are the words that God uses to describe himself as he passes by Moses. My wife is really, really into uh, these personality tests these days. Have, you, have y'all done these, done these different? There's a, a million different personality tests. One of them is Myers-Briggs, I think is the one. You get like four letters. I think I'm an ENFP. Uh, you know, you get these letters and there's like 16 versions. Y'all, if God took a personality test, these verses, this is God's personality. A G-M-S-A. The Lord is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. That's who he is. Verse 10 through 13, he praises God for his rule, his power. He has no equal. He has no rival. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. This is what Paul means when he wrote, hey, one day every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And I know nations rage right now. I know nations war right now. But there's going to come a day where all the kingdoms of the earth will become the kingdoms of our Lord and his Christ. He has no rival. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom kingdom. In the end of verse 13, there's this interesting shift from the general to the personal. So instead of just saying, hey, God is great, he's saying, God has been great to me. Instead of saying just, hey, God is good to all, he's saying, God is good to me. It's the words of a man who was once in need and he cried out and God saved him. He was bowed down and God raised him up. And y'all, this is important to know. You need to know, y'all, worship doesn't just come from head knowledge. Worship doesn't come just from facts and knowing information. Worship comes when knowledge is married with experience. And we say, hey, not only is Jesus Lord, Jesus is Lord for me. Not only is Jesus Savior, Jesus is Savior to me. He saved me. And that's where our worship comes out of. So let's listen to the words of the psalmist. In in 13, in verse 17, he repeats this phrase. He is pined in all his works. He's kind in all his works, and he said he's faithful in all his words. This word, kind and faithful, y'all, it's actually the same word. And what's amazing about this, this word, other than here, is almost always used to describe a servant. Faithful, dependable, loyal, you can count on him 100% of the time, servant. And this is how our creator is being described in his attitude towards us. Verse 14, he, he helps us in the middle of our inadequacy and powerlessness. He is able when we are not able. We are falling and can do nothing to save ourselves. He raises, he raises us up. Verse 15 and 16 is his joyful provision to all of creation. He, he gladly opens his hands and satisfies us. And many of you in this room, maybe, came to Jesus in a time when you would search for true satisfaction and true provision all over this world. Maybe through relationships, through work, through substances, through experiences, whatever it is. And then you have this moment where you experience Jesus. And you know, okay, that's, that's true satisfaction. That is full satisfaction from our Creator. That's who God is. Verse 18 and 19, it's God's nearness. He, he is near enough to hear us, when we cry. But it's not just 
distance nearness. It's relationship nearness. It's like the nearness of your best friend. And so he's near enough to hear us when we cry, and he's near enough to save us, to act, to provide. That's the nearness of our God. And in verse 20, it's the protection of his possession. Like Romans says, hey, if God is for us, who can be against us? Answer, nobody, no one. God is before us, no one can be against us. Now, at this point, you may be asking, okay, I thought we were going to talk about passing on our faith. That's evangelism. That's discipleship. But all we're talking about so far is worship. To which I would answer, yes. We are talking about worship, and we are talking about evangelism, and we are talking about discipleship because they are the same thing. They are the same thing. They come from the same place. This psalm, y'all, is not half of it about worship, and then a few verses about evangelism. The whole thing is about worship. It's like this. I think we've got a picture of a marathon runner named Rosie Ruiz. Now, she won the 1980, the female uh, race of the 1980 Boston Marathon. And y'all, not only did she win, set the world record. And in fact, she beat her own personal best time by like 30 minutes. It was unbelievable. Nobody expected this to happen. This is her after the race. Doesn't she just look exhausted? You know, not long after she won, it was a big, you know, big to-do. She wasn't supposed to win. She wasn't supposed to run that fast. Right after, or not long after, somebody came forward and said, hey, I think I saw her in the crowd, like while the race was going on. And then these two men came forward and say, no, 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 I definitely saw her on the subway while the race was going on. And pretty soon, come to find what she did, she started the race, took a little detour, got on the subway, took it, hopped off, a couple miles before the end of the race, crossed the finish line first, winner. Kind of brilliant. I've got to give it to her. Now, y'all, if the point of the marathon is just to cross the finish line first, she won, right? She crossed the finish line first. It turns out how you get there is just as important as if you cross the finish line first. That's what this psalm is saying. To pass on our faith to the next generation, how we get there is worship. It's worship. So when we say we commend what we love to the people we love, here's what we're saying. Worship inherently desires to see itself replicated. Worship desires to see itself replicated. So it's like this. Whatever it is that I love, I want the people that I love to love that thing also, right? That's how it works. That's what we mean when we say we commend what we love to the people that we love. It's got to start with worship, and then worship of that thing is what motivates our telling of it. So I keep using this word commending, and it's, it's an important word. He, it's the word the psalmist uses, starting in verse 4. It says, one generation shall commend your works to another. And y'all, this is an important word. Here's why. A lot of times, you know, when we get to t- thinking about teaching our kids about Jesus, uh, teaching other people of Jesus, all of a sudden, y'all, we all kind of turn into like math teachers, you know, where it's just the facts. Here's the facts you need to know. Two plus two equals four. Here's how it is. Here's all you need to know. So here's, okay, get the kids around. Okay, you need to know Jesus. He's the son of God. You need to know he died. You know he rose again. Okay, can you pass the test? Great. And that's kind of half the job. And then we think the other half of the job is, is like, here's how you need to act. So here's the information you need to know. And this, here's how you need to act. 
And we just start relaying information. Sometimes even when we tell the stories of the Bible, it's just like, okay, this happened and this happened and this happened, so be nice to your sister. Right? That's kind of what we turn into. Well, y'all, this word commend entails so much more. It is so much richer than just relaying information. I looked up the definition. It says this, to commend is to praise in a public way, to mention as deserving attention or approval, to recommend as worthy of confidence or notice. Y'all, this is public bragging. Think about when someone receives a commendation. We gather up all their loved ones, all the people that work with them, and we bring them on stage and publicly we praise them and we commend them. This is with joy. This is personal, knowing the person in front of the people they love. This is from the rooftops praise. This is what commending is. I love what he says. He, verse 6, he says, we're going to declare your greatness. And then verse 7, I love this. He says, I'm going to pour forth your fame. I'm going to make sure your fame spreads all over the place. So that's like I'm going to sing aloud. I'm not just going to sing to myself. I'm going to walk around singing your praise for the purpose of other people hearing it. So that hopefully they will sing your praise as well. That may sound kind of weird to you. You're like, I don't want to walk around just singing out loud to everybody. Y'all, we do this, we do this commending all the time. We do this every time a new restaurant opens in town, don't we? Y'all, there wasn't a shovel in the ground, and all I heard about was Abuelo's opening up. That's all I heard. And then for the next two months, I've been to Abuelo's, Abuelo's, Abuelo's great, I got chips, I got sauce, I got stuff, blah, blah, Abuelo's. You know, it's funny, not once did anyone ever just give me a bunch of facts about, the, oh, here's the address, their, their operating hours are 8 to 5, you know, here's their decoration. No, they just brag about whatever it is they ate and how great it was. Or think about when you meet a new person, or maybe you go to a concert or hear a comedian or see a movie, and you think somebody's just great. What do you do? You go find your friends, you find the people that you love, and you want them to think that they are as great as you are. And how do you do that? You don't say, oh, let me tell you about it. They're like 5'10", uh, they have dark hair, their legal name is so-and-so, their date of birth is January 1st, 1980. No, you don't just start spouting facts. Man, let me tell you, you will not believe what this person did. Here's what they did. Listen, let me tell you what they said. Isn't that great? You're commending them. You're bragging about them. Think about the person that came to your mind when I asked you to think about someone who impacted your life. My guess is there was something that they loved. Hopefully it was Jesus. Maybe it was a sport. Maybe it was a subject, but there was something that they loved, and they loved you. And so their love for that thing became contagious to you, and they passed it on to you. Isn't that how it works? That's always how it works. Let me just pause here, too, and say, even if you don't have kids, Y'all, the psalmist here is talking to an entire generation. This is every time in the Old Testament, this is always the call. He talks to an entire generation. He's not like, you know, it's not like he gets to verse 4. He's talking to everybody. And then verse 4, he says, okay, parents, come over here. Sidebar. Okay, here we've got to our kids this too. Okay, okay, everybody else. No. He's speaking to an entire generation. And y'all, this is my story. My parents were not believers. They did not go to church. When I was very young, my parents went through a very messy divorce. And let me tell you, some of my friends, their parents noticed, and they invited me to church. When I was at church, some Sunday school teachers noticed me. 
And they kept giving me rides, and they kept bringing me back, and they loved me, and they showed concern for me, and they invested in me. And y'all, they absolutely saved me. They led me to Jesus. So if you're an empty nester, or if you don't have kids, please don't tune out. Please. If it weren't for those people, I would not be following Jesus to this day. So this is for all of us. We're all called to pass on our faith to the next generation. Well, I'm a nerd, okay? Any other nerds in the house? Nerds unite? Anyone willing to admit? Okay, a couple of us are brave, to, brave enough to admit we're nerds. I'm a nerd, so I love when there's like research to back things up. And we can do this, y'all. So Barna Research Group has done a ton of research on, hey, you know, when people come to Jesus, when they come to faith, how does that happen? When does it happen? They've done all kind of research, and so I want to share just a couple numbers with you. First couple set of numbers is this. They found that 77% of believers accepted Christ before they were 21. So about three-fourths of people who are going to accept Christ, it's going to happen before they become adults. That's why commending our faith to the next generation when they're still with us is so important. 43% accept Christ before they're even 13. So almost half of the people who are going to come to faith, it's going to happen before they're even 13. But I think, you know, I think those numbers don't surprise most of us. I think most of us get, get that. Excuse me, but I think this next set of numbers, it surprised me, and I think it surprised most people. Because a lot of times we're mistaken about the, how that happens, about how those young people are influenced and come to faith, and how our faith gets passed on to them. The research found this, only 7% responded to a minister's prompting. That's the altar call. That's the pastor, the professional Christian sitting down with them, maybe through counseling or in the middle of the service or something, and asking them to accept Christ. Only 7% of the time is it a minister. Only 12% were saved at a church service or other special event. So this is a big church. What we're doing right now, or camp, or some other large service, only 12% of the time. What they found is, y'all, the overwhelming majority of the time, they were led to Christ by someone who is regularly in their life parent, a friend, something like that. Overwhelmingly, the majority of the time. See, most of us are we're brought to faith by everyday people in our life. It's not about the skill for preachers and altar calls and, you know, I've got to send them to the right camp or talk to the right person. It's about the day in and day out investment in your life. Think again about the person you thought of at the beginning of the sermon. My guess is most of you didn't think about a famous preacher you know, or the Christian cartoon character, like, man, my, my parents set me down in front of that video over and over again. That really just shaped my life. Y'all, what our kids need most isn't Billy Graham or Veggie Tales or Smoke Machine. What our kids need most are the people in this room to commend what we love to the people that we love. Science, it's right there. This is a quote at the end of the, the Barna study. It said this, The primary window of opportunity for effectively reaching people with the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection is in the preteen years. It is during those years that people develop their frames of reference for the remainder of their life, especially, especially theologically and morally. And this is a closing sentence, and listen to this carefully. Consistently, Consistently explaining and modeling truth principles for young people is the most critical factor 
in their spiritual development. The most critical factor. They need us. They need us commending what we love to the people that we love. And y'all, we know this. We, we instinctively know this about other things. We, we assume this about non-spiritual things, don't we? All of us know, hey, we, we got some quirk, some food we like, uh, some mannerism that we got from our parents, right? And it just naturally happened. The people we were around the most, it just, I'll kind of look like them and talk like them and act like them. I used to work, when I lived in Nashville, I worked for uh, Dave Ramsey, and he always had this great story. Uh, early on in their marriage, his wife went to, she was going to bake a ham. She went to bake the ham, sat it down, cut the end off the ham. Dave was like, what, what are you doing? That's perfectly good ham. Why are you just cutting it off and getting rid of it? And she goes, I don't know. I don't know. That's just what my mom told me to do. Cut off the end of the ham, put it in the oven. That's what we do. You don't know why? She says, no, I don't know why. Let me call my sister. I'll call my sister. So she calls her sister. Hey, sister, do you cut the end off the ham? Yeah, sure do. Do you know why? I have no clue. Let's call mom. Call mom. Mom, do you cut the end off your ham? Yeah, I do. Why? No clue. Let's call grandma. So they call grandma. Grandma, we all cut the end off of our ham. We don't know why. Do you know why? Grandma says, I don't know why you turkeys are doing it, but my pan was too small. (laughs) These things just naturally catch on and get passed down. Y'all, it is true about Jesus. The people in our life most influence us most. But here's what I find often, working in family ministry and working with parents, is many parents, they want to do this. They don't want their kids just to hear about Jesus at church. They want to... They want to talk about Jesus in their home, but maybe we don't know how. Or maybe we want to do this. This is my story. I want to do this, but, but my parents didn't do this for me, and so I really don't know what I'm doing. And so it feels intimidating, or it can feel awkward. Here's what I want to do. I want to give you just some practical tips. Just some practical tips of things you can do to talk about Jesus to your kids in everyday life. Here's the first one. Fight the battle of busyness. And I put this one first for a reason. I'm convinced it's the most important. You know, our schedule, our our busyness, y'all, we're not used to thinking about that as a spiritual battle. It's just kind of what we do. It's a spiritual battle. I don't know if you've ever read the the book, The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. It's a great book. It's It's a brilliant book. It's written from the point of view of a demon. And this demon is reporting to his boss about his efforts to get this guy, this one guy who's a Christian. And so he's writing back, hey, if I do this, it'll test his faith. If I, if I do this, it really keeps him from opening his Bible. If I do this, I found, you know, it really works well, gets him off his game. And so I had a class one time where the assignment was, okay, you got to write a journal as if you're the demon trying to tempt you. And y'all, it's convicting. I did not like that assignment. So I thought about this, you know, I thought about, hey, what if I was the enemy? And, and I wanted to be sure and prevent a church from commending what they love to the people they love. How, how would I do that? I don't think I would get very far if I tried to convince all of you that t- teaching our kids about Jesus is not important. Like if I just went around like, hey, not a big deal. They don't need to know about Jesus. You're going to be like, you're the worst demon ever. Get out of here. Okay? Here's what I bet I could do. I bet I could fill your life so full of stuff, seemingly good stuff, that you feel too tired, too maxed out, and too busy to do it. Y'all, I'm convinced this is the 
spiritual battle of the church in our culture today. That we, are, we all feel so maxed out that we're not paying attention to commending the God that we love to the next generation. It's a spiritual battle. Make room in your life to do it regularly. Here's a second very practical thing. Do family worship. Do family worship. I'm sure many of you families already do this. I'm, I'm kind of new to doing this. So my oldest is about four and a half years old. We just started doing this together. Um, and it's great. It's wonderful. There's a great little book you can read. If you're not sure how to get started, there's a great little book you can pick up. It's called Family Worship. Uh, I think we have a picture of it up there. Um, it's got by a guy named Donald Whitney, who is a professor of mine. The book is like maybe 50 pages. And so a couple of these tips come from him. Really, family worship, y'all, a lot of people, a lot of dads especially think, oh, they get so intimidated. I'm, how am I going to like plan this whole Bible study? And I got to be like Moses coming down with the tablets from the mountain and everything. How do I do this? Y'all, it is so simple. 10 minutes. You just do 10 minutes. Here's all you need. A Bible and a place to sit in 10 minutes. That's all you need. Here, and here's what you do. It's really, thankfully, in his word, God tells us how to worship him. Number one, read the Bible. If your kids are too young, there's a ton of great children's Bibles, things like that. I would love to recommend some. I'm sure Mark would as well. But once they get, as soon as they get on up, you just read the Bible, this, the actual Bible. Pick a passage, read it. And then use the, I do one, you do one. So, hey, we're going to read these verses. I'm going to ask you a question, and then you get to ask me a question. Or, hey, we're going to read, and then I'm going to explain a verse, and then you explain a verse to me. And that's it. Then the second step is you pray. Now, don't pray the same thing all the time. Pray about what you just read in Scripture. You can take turns praying, taking prayer requests for each other. You can take turns praying for your school or your neighborhood or your church or, or the world. You can take a, one time to focus on Thanksgiving, all the things we're thankful for. You can take a time to focus on confession where you confess your sins together. Change it up. Spread it out. And then the third part, you sing, you worship. Now, I don't know about y'all. Before we started this, me and my family didn't just sit around in a circle and stare at each other and sing, okay? Y'all, I started doing I was like, this, I'm going to die. It's going to be so awkward. I'm literally going to shrivel up and die at the awkwardness. It's my kids' favorite part. Absolutely their favorite part. Especially if you got young kids, this will be their favorite part. And it helps if you listen to these songs, you listen to worship songs, like when you're in the car, around things like that, and they're familiar with them. They could sing the songs that they know. If somebody can play a guitar, great, play guitar. If not, bust out your phone, pull up Spotify, pull up your, your iTunes, something like that, and play a song and sing it together. Your kids will love it. And here, here's, especially dads, depend on consistency more than profoundness or length. Depend on consistency. Y'all, every time you meet, it's not a summit on like pre-millennial dispensationalism, okay? That's not what you're doing there. Ten minutes. And then the next time you sit together, do it 10 minutes. And then do 10 minutes again and again and again. And you will find your family will start talking about Jesus together and it will become more and more natural. You won't regret you did it. It may be awkward at times. So here's my challenge to you. If it's awkward, do it anyway. When it's awkward, do it anyway. And it will stop being awkward. Third, be intentional with your everyday times. Almost all of us have three everyday times every day that we're used to not being very intentional with. Car time, dinner time, bedtime. Car time, dinner time, bedtime. No matter how busy you get, 
you usually have car time, dinner time, bedtime. If you can't do anything else, find a way to use those times intentionally. Write to your kids. My wife just started doing this because her mom, her whole, whole time she was in school, her mom would write a verse or a note in her lunchbox, I mean, all the way through high school. And so that was really impactful for my wife. She started doing it with our kids. Now, my four-and-a-half-year-old, he can't read. Uh, so I think first day of school this week, my wife like, drew him a picture of a dragon. Not very spiritual, but we're getting started. Next, use holidays and traditions. Easter, Christmas, baptism, communion, birthdays. Use those times to teach your kids about Jesus, to praise God in front of them. Y'all, don't let an Easter go by and just be about Easter eggs and Easter bunnies. Tell your kids the story. Tell your kids about the Savior's death and resurrection. This past Easter, me and my kids, we... And my wife, we reenacted Palm Sunday, where Jesus rode in on a donkey. Guess who got to be the donkey, right? That was me. And my wife and, and my daughter, they get, we got leaves out of the house, and they got like pine straw leaves. I'm sure that's not how it looked. But it helps them remember the story. So use traditions and holidays. Next, commend even if you don't have kids. And I've already mentioned this. Commend to the next generation even if you don't have kids. It's so important. And it's great. You won't regret it. Look, I know this is going to be hard to believe. Some kids, not your kids, other kids, actually won't listen to their parents, but will listen to other adults. I know, that's surprising. And so if you're that other adult, it's, it's kind of entertaining. It's kind of fun. Y'all, there's a look that parents get that is unlike any other look I've ever seen. It is a mixture of like pure annoyance and pure gratitude when you, you're the volunteer, you're like the kid's Sunday school teacher, and you tell the kids something, and would you, they believe you, and they listen to you, and they actually get excited, and they go, they tell their mom, Mom, guess what my teacher said? And whatever that thing is, that parent has literally told that kid a thousand times. You know? And they, that parent just looks at you like, really? And thank you so much. Thank you so much. It works best when Families and churches speak with one voice to our kids. Finally, and lastly, don't get on the subway. Don't get on the subway. Don't, don't think, okay, well, as long as I just do family worship and as long as I teach Sunday school every once in a while, that's, that's, all, that's what I'm supposed to do. I'm, don't go through the motions. Be led by your worship. See, there's a danger in this. And y'all, I believe... I'm the one that gave you this practical list. I believe in I believe if you make a point to do these things and, and make time, it will be better for you. But there's a danger in any list. See, if we're just going through the motions, we're just going through the list, if we are not commending the God that we love, the God of the universe and the Savior of our soul to the people that we love, the next generation, y'all, they're, they're just going to get mixed messages, confusion, and hypocrisy. And here's why. Y'all, commending what you love to the people you love is not optional. It is already happening in your house. You are already doing this. I love college football. I'm so excited that it started, even though LSU lost. You think, you think my kids don't know that? You think they haven't picked up on that? Of course they have. Why? Because I, I love it, and I talk about it, and I talk with them, and I want them to love it. So I buy my, I buy my son a football uniform for Christmas right? 
See, what your kids need most isn't the most strategic parent. They don't need like walking Pinterest boards with all these crafty ideas. They don't need Matt Chandler for a dad or Martha Stewart for a mom. They need parents who love Jesus. And if you ask them what they want, they want parents who love Jesus. Your takeaway this morning may be, yeah, I need to make some more time. We need to be more consistent. I need to do family worship. I need to use that bedtime better. That may be your takeaway. Or your takeaway may be, I need to be a God admirer. I need to stop and remember Jesus' goodness and kindness and greatness towards me. Excuse me. I may need to remember who God is before I can commend him to the next generation. We get to take some time right now to do just that. See, the Lord gave us a way, a sacrament for us to remember for ourselves, to worship for ourselves all that Jesus has done. And he says when we do this, we proclaim it to one another as well. And it's the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that we're going to take together. So let me pray. Mark will come forward and lead us. Lord, you are gracious and merciful. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, you are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You are gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, help us remember that this morning. Help that praise pour forth from us to the next generation and to the people around us. Lord, help us and teach us to praise your name publicly, to pour forth your fame to all who are watching in our lives. And I pray that as we go about our daily life and as things get busy, Lord, that we still make time to pass on our faith to the next generation. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your kindness towards us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.